So there. So there. So there. So there. Let me know your thoughts. So there. So there. So there. Let me know your thoughts. Why do you keep saying let us know your thoughts? Let me know your thoughts to me is a nice lead-in for So There. So There. Welcome to episode 13 of So So There. There. I'm Tom Karamitis with the Leo Burnett Company. I'm Gary Doyle from the Kramer Cresselts. And uh, today we thought, you know what? We have taken so many detours on this wonderful podcast ride. Why not go back and revisit our roots? This was originally conceived as a discussion about, among other things, marketing and advertising. And we pretty much have ignored it since the beginning. It was also conceived as each person would just kind of babble endlessly. And it's become a little bit more of a conversation. But maybe today it'll be a little bit more babbling endlessly and filibustering pointlessly. <laughs> pointlessly about something. Yeah. So I'll, um, I'll kick things off. I, I have two topics to talk about. The first one is haircuts. And I'm not going to say how this came to my attention, but it did. Women's haircuts cost much more than men's. Women's haircuts uh, might cost $100, $120 when you talk about uh, haircut and coloring and all that. A men's haircut might be 30 might be 20 might be 15 if you go to Supercuts. Admittedly, you don't get the MVP experience if you do $15, but I I just wonder why that is, and maybe this isn't I wonder why, but why are women's haircuts $120 and men's haircuts are $30? Is it, is it women's hair is that much more complicated to cut than men's? Is it, uh, is it, is it, is it kind of um, uh, learned behavior, it's accepted behavior, like women just accept that they're going to pay $120 for a haircut and then a... And then, uh, you know, they pay it and the barbers take that money. Is it kind of like it's sort of um, conditioned behavior, like paying $7 for a Starbucks coffee, right? Kind of ridiculous when you take a step back from it, but people are used to doing that. So why are women's haircuts so expensive? That's my first item. Uh, second one, totally unrelated. As Tom said, this is a started off as a podcast about marketing and inexplicable human behavior. It's still about inexplicable human behavior, but I wanted to bring up marketing and a specific subset of marketing, and that is automobile advertisements. So particularly radio ads. So I listen to a lot of sports radio and they have a lot of automobile dealer radio ads. And there's a couple of, uh, couple of examples that I'm kind of obsessed with. One is Moeller Honda. Moeller Honda, voiced by, I think, A. Moeller, a member of the Moeller family, sounds like a pretty jowly man. I'm guessing overweight. I don't know for sure, but he sounds overweight. I think he's white. Um, a white, overweight, jowly man who auto dealer advertise, t- advertisements tend to be voiced by. Um, says things like, you will not be disappointed. And he says that line like it's some kind of incredibly monumental, well-written line. You will not be disappointed. Like that's some kind of impressive feat. So that's that's a line. And, and, and they also have a, a tagline. There's always a molar 
in the house. That's another one. And they also have a gambit uh, where they, and Tom Karamitis does not like this gambit, but I like it, where they pretend that they're just like you and me. They say, we have kids, we pay bills, we worry about saving enough for retirement. We're just like you. So that's Moeller Honda. And another automobile ad I want to end with before my filibuster ends is Mike Ditka used to do ads for Motor Works of Barrington, Tom Karamitis' stomping ground. And it would be a litany of things that Mike Ditka loved. And there's all, there's all, there, all, there, there would always be an uncomfortably pregnant pause after each thing that he loved. He would go, I love Chicago-style hot dogs. I love Lakeshore Drive. And I love Motorworks of Barrington. That's what it was. It was a list of things that Mike Ditka loved. Random things. He also loved Motorworks of Barrington. And in between each item would be a, a, a long three or four second pause, which was deeply uncomfortable. So there. Well, uh, I will... Uh let, let me address these. These, these, are, these are fascinating topics, and I think they need to be addressed. Um, and I will go in reverse order. My, 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 I had the same observation about Mike Ditka and Motorworks of Barrington. My takeaway from that was always that um, somebody had bought 60-second radio spots, but they only came up with 30 seconds of copy. So they really had to just do this, this inordinate stretching job on Mike. The, the first topic, the the hair thing is, is very interesting. I just kind of feel in general, men have always been more wash and wear. You know, men do not need, men are, it's just a much simpler exercise for a man to be groomed. I mean, when I go to my uh, great clips with my coupon for a $9.99 haircut, essentially the only question they ask me is, what clipper number do you want? That's really all I have to an answer. And, and I know you know, with, with women, it's, you know, I don't even know how to begin, but I mean, with highlights and bangs and bobs and all the things that women have to answer. But yes, it, it just costs, I mean, a man can get a haircut for 10 bucks. And don't they, at the, even at the chains, don't they differentiate the price of a man's haircut versus a woman's haircut even before you sit in the chair? They don't try to hide it. So, I mean, it could be a woman with a buzz cut, right? Will she have to pay if more? They, exactly. If they took the clippers and just did a buzz cut and it took five minutes, they would charge $80. Yeah. And for a man, they'd charge 15 Yeah. It's just interesting. I think, it, uh, I think if you're a trans and you go in there, you would really throw off their system. They wouldn't know what to do. Or, or a man with very long hair, shouldn't he be charged as a woman? That would be interesting if a transgender person walked in and asked for a haircut and they tried to guess what they were and therefore charged them based on their what they guessed the their perceived gender was. sexuality? That'd be a fascinating social experiment. We await letters from Obvious. women. You women out there listening, please weigh in on haircuts. So there. I would like to talk about something. Uh, Gary mentioned 
sitting at home and, 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 and listening to sports radio and hearing these commercials, or I have a similar reaction lately when I watch pharmaceutical advertising. And um, I've started to kind of compile a list of the names of pre prescription drugs and I started to put them into categories because I think they're getting more and more, in a lot of ways, more and more bizarre in different ways. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you some of them that I kind of started to categorize. First, there's, there's the, the prescription drugs that um, sound like they're fr from Star Trek. They would describe another planet or an alien or a faraway galaxy. And I'll give you some of them. Genuvia, Zeljans, Zarelto. Stellara, Lunesta, and my favorite, Prevnar 13. <laughs> Pre Prevnar 13 is a drug. Yes. That's, uh, they, they do all sound like spaceship or distant planets. And then you have the group that to me are, are, are a little more lyrical and, and musical. The ones like Latuda, Keytruda, and Lyrica. Um, you have the uh, you have several prescriptions that are um, are a little too on the nose for me, like Abilify, Nulasta, and Celebrex. I will also say uh, there there's one that always strikes me as they kind of gave up really easily. It's called Taltz. <laughs> T A L T Z, Taltz. But I will say the award I give. For me, the best in show, the grandmaster of prescription names, the one that always gets me when I'm on the couch watching golf, the one that I think is really more a slang for the male genitalia is called Harvoni. Every time I see Harvoni, I think, dude, you've got a total Harvoni for her. I mean, it has to be a slang that you'd hear a teenage boy say, Harvoni. I think these drug names could also be the first names of professional athletes. <laughs> Jarnuvius Holmes. <laughs> Harvody <laughs> Harvody de Wickersham. <laughs> oh, or if uh, for those of you who remember the, the names of the New York City police role of people that have been arrested in the past. Remember that? The Reverend Chicken Holmes. From episode one, if I recall. Barkevius Bingo. <laughs> so put put a drug together with the last name and you have a professional athlete. I don't know how they come up with them, frankly. They, cause oh, somebody names them. You so, know. Well, it's a company. There's, there's, a, there's a group of people, right? Yeah. I mean, right? Celebrex kind of sounds like a celebration, like your chronic pain is ending or your anal leakage or whatever that's a drug for. <laughs> and therefore, that calls for a celebration. Celebrex. You get the geeky guy in the room. He's the guy that's going to come up with Prevnar 13. <laughs> You're going to get the sprite, the sprite young sorority chick right out of business school with Celebrex. <laughs> Prevnar... <laughs> Prevnar 13 was probably one of a list of five or six, and that was the only one he could get up on the board, and the rest of the people were going like, okay, fine, we'll give you Prevnar 13. And then they tested it, and it tested the best, and it became the name. That's, well, what, happened. That's what happened with that. Well, don't you think also there is, um, there is an implied increase in scientific validity when you throw a number in the name of your, like, like Formula 409, right? Or, or, or Preparation H, 
I used to think preparation H meant the H was like the 13th letter in the alphabet, so it was the 13th preparation, but apparently the H just stands for hemorrhoids, which I only found out recently. But Prevnar is not, a, to me, as impressive as Prevnar 13. No, oh, totally. Totally. Yeah, that could be a floor cleaner. That could be a, uh, a, a rocket ship. That could be a distant sun. Yes. <laughs> so there. I would like to now do an I decree. And, and this is another observation that came out of the, the day I was watching golf on TV and all of those prescription ads were coming on. They were uh, on the broadcast, they were paying tribute to somebody who had died. It was somebody who worked for the network, a producer, a cameraman or something. By the way, was this, was this when Tiger Woods finished second? It was, it was that or it was the weekend? previous week, in the last Boy, two was, weeks. How great was that, by the yes. way? Wow, yes. was that fantastic. When Tiger Woods is playing, I only watch Tiger Woods. I not only fast forward through all the other golfers, DVR past them, I actively root against them. Like, please miss this putt. Please miss this You are putt. a non-golfing golf fan. That's, that's what the non-golfing golf I care golf less is. about golf, but when Tiger plays, I'm yes. watching. Anyway, sorry. Yes. Anyway, during this broadcast, they were paying tribute to some guy who had died, and NBC went to the generic death music and death shot. They, they panned up to a shot of the sky, and they played gentle solo piano. Right, and then they always, and I thought, why, why is solo piano become the death instrument? You know, they all, all the networks, especially in sports, sports broadcasts, always, always kind of, they must have in their library the death music. You know, somebody died, and we miss them very much, and blah 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 blah. I just feel like they should shake things up. I think they should maybe do an electric guitar, or maybe a drum solo. That would be nice. It would shake things up. You know, you can pay tribute the same way. It doesn't have to be the gentle, thoughtful solo piano. I decree the networks need to shake things up and get out of their own way with the cliché that is the way they treat death. Perhaps, uh, what's, what's that instrument in good vibration? Oh, the, yeah, the... Um, uh, theremin. Uh, the theremin. The theremin. Perhaps the theremin could be... <laughs> <laughs> That'd be the least appropriate in memoriam music ever. So now it's time for a little viewer mail, as Tom and I call it, viewer mail. Even though you don't view this podcast unless unless you're insane. Uh, this is where people write into so there at yahoo.com. Yahoo the the Kellyanne Conway of email platforms. The Kellyanne Conway, the uh, Rex Tillerson of email platforms. Uh, be, uh, anyway, uh, letter says, gentlemen, so right off the bat, you know that he's a little off base. <laughs> gentlemen, in a recent episode, you addressed the phenomenon of people who leave a few seconds on the microwave. True to the spirit of the show, you attributed this to the impatience, impoliteness, and perhaps even stupidity on the part of others. Let me as an aside say that he did capture the spirit of the show there. Having done research in this area for many years, I can tell you the root of this activity is altogether more benign and hard as it will be for so there to believe, polite. Those of us in the field call the situation you describe, quote, electronic audio signal silencing, E hyphen ASS, or beep avoidance. 
Those using a microwave in a common area, such as a work kitchen, commonly wish to spare colleagues the piercing, metallic, ear-shredding sound the microwave emits upon termination of the cooking cycle. Considerate of others in this public forum, they often wish not to call attention to their cooking activities. True, they really should zero out the microwave. How? Okay, I don't want to get a, 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 a sticker slapped on this. How effing hard is that? But consider the possibility that premature food item removal, PFIR, is not born of anxiety, hunger, or incompetence, but, dare we say it, benevolence. Best regard, Alan S. Alan S. sounds a little hostile. He sounds a little angry. I think Alan S. is more of a deep thinker. I, I, I would like to offer up to Alan S. one other theory about the, the, the microwave uh, phenomenon, which, which you described in a previous episode. Much like when you're rushing into the house and you really have to go to the bathroom badly, the closer you get to your destination, being the bathroom, the more intense the pressure is to go to the bathroom. I think it's that same anticipation as the clock kicks uh, ticks down. You want that food. You finally decide, I cannot wait these last three seconds. I must eat now. The microwave with two seconds on it is a phenomenon at the Kramer Kreisholt. So Alan S., I don't know why that is, but I accept your thoughtful, cogent, slightly unhinged analysis. And in my world, the microwave with two seconds is the equivalent of the toilet with the seat down. So there. By the way, Alan's message, it says in the bottom, sent from my Dynatac 8000X. Another example of a number making something sound more impressive. Very impressive, Alan. Thank you for sharing. Alan's a, a frequent writer. Alan is a wise man, an amusing poster on Facebook and an overall good guy. Maybe he'll join us on the pod one of these days. That would be interesting. So thus concludes another episode of So There. We'd like to thank our uh, our art director, Jim Furr, our, uh, our engineer, our, uh, our sound mixer, John Binder, our engineer, Marco Morales, Marco Morales, and our uh, dedicated crew. And most of all, thank you to you, our 6.7 million listeners. Until next time... So, so there! there.